welcome to The Harbinger. My name is Scott Owens. I'm your host, and I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. We are continuing what we began on our last episode, and we're answering the question, what part does Russia play when it comes to prophecy? We made mention in our last episode of the importance of being able to uh, give the intent of the text in one complete sentence. I've been reading a book by Warren Wiersbe and David Wiersbe entitled Elements of Preaching. And they make a reference in there of the importance of that sentence. The intent of the sermon must be made clear. And so I feel uh, it very important that we stress that. If we want to get the intent of the sermon, what is the sermon about? What is the lesson about? We have got to give a clear and complete sentence that kind of takes in general the whole text and just sums it up. And so it becomes a reference point. We get to go back and back. We keep going back to that place that keeps us on track, keeps us from running rabbit trails. But in this chapter, there's a gentleman by the name of John Watson, and in his book, The Cure of Souls, page 18, he makes a statement that is just amazing when it comes to this sentence. And I want to read that to you. So I quote, A sermon ought to be a monograph and not an encyclopedia, an agency for pushing one article, and not a general store where one can purchase anything from a button to a coffin. End quote. So, our sentence takes the form of a question, and this is our intent. What part does Russia play when it comes to prophecy? Now, Russia in the news is really no new news. August 2015, Russia took over Crimean Peninsula from its parent nation, the Ukraine. In 1975, Putin was a member of the KJB under the USSR. In 1991, Putin retired and entered politics and rising to power under Boris Yeltsin's administration. In 1999, Putin became an acting president and being officially elected in the year 2000. And from history, we know 1947 to 1991 was the Cold War between Russia and the United States of America. So the word Russia never occurs in Scripture, but when it comes to the description of this war, It connects these two chapters and gives us an idea of a future outcome of Russia Russia as a world power. And so this war that we're reading about in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it cannot be confused with the Battle of Armageddon, which takes place toward the uh, right before the second coming or toward the end of the book of Revelation, right before the second coming of Christ, right before the setting up of the millennial kingdom. It is the Colossus of Daniel chapter 2, the ten-toed federation, those ten kingdoms that will rise up. And and so we can't mistake uh, the battle of Armageddon with this battle in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's very important that we make that distinction. Now, we do read uh, in the book of Revelation toward the end about Gog and Magog, but it is a symbolic reference only. So this war spoken of by Ezekiel occurs in the first half of the last seven years, probably towards the close of the first three and one half years known as tribulation, but not, let me stress that, not great tribulation. So the presence of Russia in Scripture. So I want to read Ezekiel 38, verses 1 and 2. 
the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, for uh, in order for us to get a very solid, clear understanding, get good foundation, we have to go back to Ezekiel 34, where we uh, are introduced to the prophecies against the shepherds of Israel. There's uh, this is a future uh, reference and uh, the future tense of two words, uh, will and shall, that occur about 36 times, gives us that sense of future. Uh, in verse 11, the Lord will begin to seek them out to the people of Israel, which is future. Uh, we come to Ezekiel 35 and there's this enemy that is mentioned, Mount Seir, that the Son of Man is to set his face against it in an antagonistic manner. We come to chapter 36 of Ezekiel, and we have the promised blessing of Israel. It talks about the mountains of Israel. And we also come to chapter 37, which is a very familiar chapter. And this is the valley of dry bones. This is when the Lord asked Ezekiel, and he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel begins to prophesy, and the bones begin to come together, and, and everything begins to take shape and form up, and this great army and the nation is resurrected. This is a national resurrection of Israel. And so now we come to Ezekiel 38 and 39, and and, and during these days of Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, 30, chapter 34, 35, 36, 37, the nation is beginning to uh, be rebuilt and reform and, and God's calling them back into the land. And in Ezekiel 38 and 39, they're back into the land of Israel where they long to be. And so during these days that they are back in their land, there will be this alliance of nations formed with Russia at the helm. And they're going to be driving their anger towards the country of Israel. In Ezekiel 38, this alliance of ten nations made up of Russia and Gomer and then eight other uh, nations which are predominantly Islamic. The third name in the list of these nations is Rosh. Now I want to read to you Ezekiel 38 verse number two from the New American Standard because the ESV uses the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. But it's interesting that the New American Standard in chapter 2, this is the way it reads, Son of man, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. The prince of Rosh. So we learn that Gog is the ruler of Magog. In the ESV it gives reference to the land of Magog. Also in the New American Standard it does the same. And then we see that Gog is referred to as the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. So Gog will be the leader of this alliance of nations who come against the nation of Israel. Now, Russia's presence in scriptures, Russia is not mentioned, but I want to read a quote from John Walvoord in his book, The Nations in Prophecy, page 108. And I quote, in the study of how ancient words came into modern language, it is quite common for the consonants to remain the same and the vowels to be changed. So if we take the word Rosh, change the vowel O to a U, it becomes the root for modern word Russia. Now we learn in Ezekiel 5.5, thus says the Lord God, 
This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with all countries all around her. So we know that Jerusalem is the navel of the world. It is that, that belly button, that center of the world. In any geographical direction given in prophecy, there is always this uh, direction towards Jerusalem. And so all the geographical locations given in prophecy, it's always in conjunction with Jerusalem. In Daniel chapter 11, verses 5 through verse 35, with emphasis in verse 13, for the king of the north shall return and shall set forth a multitude greater than the former. The nation of Russia, geographically, is the only country north of Israel. Now I want you to understand Ezekiel 38 verse 2, we mentioned Gog, and Gog is more of a title than it is a name. So it's like the czar of Magog, or the president of Magog. And so Gog is the leader of the armies, this alliance of of nations made up of mostly Muslim, two of them, uh, one of them Russia and the other one being Goma. So God commands God to be the leader of this alliance. I want to read verse 7. Be ready. Keep ready. You and all your hosts, that's an alliance of nations that are assembled about you. So they're, 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 in, they're in cahoots with each other and be a guard for them. In other words, you're the leader. You're the one that's at the helm. You're the one driving this thing. Although it is God who is steering it sovereignly, God is kind of driving this thing. So these countries in the alliance, I, I want to make mentions of some of them. And I want to go ahead and say I'm sorry for misquoting or mis, uh, sorry, not quoting, but pronunciation. I, I, I want to go ahead and just put that disclaimer in there because some of these names are hard, but I'll try my best. So the first one, of course, is Magog in verse number two. It means head. And so that's what he said in verse number seven. Hey, you're going to be the guard for them. You're going to be the leader here. And in the Hebrew, we just read that it is Rosh. If you change O to U, it's Rush, and it gives us a root for Russia. And this, these are the inhabitants of Scythia, which is former Soviet empire. Uh, there is a Kazakhstan and there is a, a Kyrgyzstan and there's Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and Tajikistan and and today's these are Islamic countries and again I apologize if I've mispronunciated these but number two there's Mishek and Tubal which is Moscow and, and Tobolsk and the, Russia was first called Muscovy which is Mishek and so at Persia we see that in verse number five look what it says Persia Kush Put are with them, all of them with the shield and helmet. So you see that there in 1935, Persia changed its name to Iran in 1935. In 1979, it changed it to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Iran. So then we have Ethiopia, which is North African nations such as Egypt, Sudan. And then we have Libya, that's the land of the West, of Egypt. And then we have Goma, which today is Germany. And then we have Togoma, which is Turkey. Togoma, which is Turkey. So back to our initial question, is Russia mentioned in the Bible? Well, Ezekiel 38, verse 6, verse 15, Ezekiel 38, verse number 2, state that Gomer, Germany, and Magog, which is Russia, invade Israel from the north with, the, with these other eight nations. Moscow, which is Meshach, Ezekiel 38, verse 2, is in directly is directly north. I mean, uh, Jerusalem is directly north. Uh, Meshach is north of Jerusalem. And, and so linguistically, geographically, philosophically, Ezekiel 38, verse 3, Russia is this atheistic country. 
And God said, I'm against this nation that will rise in the last days. So it's important to understand that this nation has not even been formed yet. And God has already set his uh, displeasure against it. Okay, so that brings us to the second uh, point that's helping us answer the question, what part does Russia play? And that's the purpose of the invasion. So we read in verse 11 uh, of Ezekiel 38, verse 11, and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages and I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars and gates, to seize spoil, carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. And so we see here that Russia will seize the land, Russia is going to invade the land, and Russia will slaughter Israel's people. Look in verse 16. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me when through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness for their, before their eyes. And so Russia will invade so that the name of God may be sanctified. So God is Israel's only hope. We learn that in verse number 16. And their only source of help. So God is going to deal with Israel at the hand of Russia, war is going to break out. They're going to realize that God is their only hope. This is going to trigger great tribulation, which will begin in a, in a frenzy. And then all these judgments are going to be unleashed that we read about in the book of Revelation. So Matthew 24, verse 22 said, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So what about the place of Russia's invasion? This is very important, Ezekiel 38 and verse 8. Let's go back to verse 8, if you would. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely all of them. So verse number 8 of Ezekiel 38, there are at least five references to Israel being the target of Russia's coalition. Israel becomes the center of one of the world's final global wars. But it is only when Israel is back in the land. We read that numerous times in verse 8. They will be under the domination of Antichrist. They will have peace. They will enjoy the old form of temple worship. All the problems of the earth and Israel will be settled. In verse 11 of chapter 38, look at this. They, they dwell in unwalled villages. They dwell in rest. They dwell in safety. All of them dwelling among without walls. They neither bars nor gates. They've kind of let down their guard. And so the period of Russia's invasion, Israel must be present in the land. Israel declared its independence May 14, 1948. They flew the flag had the star of David. Israel must be a prosperous in the land, verse 11. Israel will be at peace in the land, verse 11. Daniel 9, 27, if you want to reference, this is yet to happen, but will occur during that first three and one half years of tribulation. Now, here's what's going to happen during that three and one half years of tribulation, okay? Antichrist will establish a covenant with Israel that will be contracted or contracted for seven years. It'll be under a contract for seven years. All right. Antichrist will settle the Arab-Israeli dispute. On behalf of the European coalition, 
of nations, he will guarantee Israel's safety. Israel will let her guard down, unwalled cities. Remember, we read that. Okay, unwalled villages, quiet people, dwelling securely. They'll let their guard down. They'll begin to prosper. And Israel will be a nation of unwalled villages and become the target now. At, 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 a, at a moment of vulnerability, they'll become a target of this alliance of ten nations. Now, if you think for one moment that God is going to sleep while this happens, uh, He's not. Because we're told in Ezekiel 39, verse 2, very, very, very uh, significant, the peril of Russia. And I will turn you about and drive you forward. This is Ezekiel 39, verse 2. I will turn you about and drive you forward, bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Now, I want you to note verse 22 of Ezekiel 38. There are six plagues that will be unleashed upon Russia. Look at verse 22. With pestilence, bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him. Torrential rains, hailstorms, hailstones, fire, and sulfur. In Ezekiel 38, verses 18 and 19, God intervenes in favor of his outnumbered people. Verse 18, let's go back up and read it. But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So God intervenes, saying it is humanly impossible to defeat such a massive strong enemy. Humanly impossible, but it is not divinely impossible. God steps in when all hope is gone. Ezekiel 39, so I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. So a great earthquake will occur. Nothing will escape the effect of this catastrophic earthquake. Now it's interesting, I want to just run just a small little rabbit trail. Matthew 24 talks about uh, the earthquakes coming, mass confusion from earthquake. We read about that. And so in this pandemonium and in this, uh, the, the communication between the four invading armies, these these the, uh, these invading armies, these uh, this alliance will be broke down. They will begin to attack each other. Okay, uh, they will fear. Uh, there will be fear and panic swept all over the uh, these forces. So these armies will begin to shoot indiscriminately at others. Uh, there'll be epidemic diseases that will break out. We find that in Ezekiel 39, verse 22. A deluge of natural disasters will begin to unfold. We read about that in Ezekiel 38, 22. So rain combined with dirt and debris from the earthquake will produce these massive mudslides and floods and hailstorms and large massive hailstones will smash these invaders, killing many. And volcanic activity talks about brimstone in verse 22 of Ezekiel 38, part of these six uh, these six plagues. So in the end, piles of bodies will blanket the land of Israel along with their weaponry. Their bodies will become food for the animals. And get this, the survivors will burn up those weapons and use uh, that were used against them. So let's read some of that so we know that we're not just kind of making this stuff up. 
Ezekiel 39, verse 17, As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts in the field and assemble and come and gather from all around to the sacrificial feast. And that's all these bodies that are just strewn all everywhere. And so if you want some more references, that's Ezekiel 39, 17 through 20, uh, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, down to verse 12. So how does this speak to us? And everything that we're seeing, how does this speak to us? What biblical significance? And so Ezekiel 39, verses 6 and 7, it may seem for the moment that God is numb to the injustice of our world. Very little seems to be being done from heaven's vantage point. But here's the point. God moves when He's ready to move, when it is time. And this is what's really important. God does not vindicate glory out of spite. He's told this numerous times in this text that He will be known, His, His holiness will be vindicated, Israel will realize that he's their only hope. He will get glory. He will get glory. Glory. He asked in Romans 3, I mean chapter 2, verse 3, uh, those, thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? No. Nobody's going to escape the judgment of God. Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We don't. We don't escape. We don't. So, let me give it to you this way. How does this speak to us today? Well, God will not be trifled with. Believers cannot become too familiar with God as if He's a buddy and presume upon Him. We can live any way we want to. We can't, we can't do that. We can't sin and get away with it. God will not be trifled with. Why would a person exchange a loving God for an intolerable judge who will trample under feet every enemy which stands against Him? So God is sovereign and everything is playing out just as He has willed it. Ezekiel 38, 4 tells us that. Ezekiel 38, 4 is a great verse. And it says this, You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey and every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field for I have spoken, declares the Lord. God is in control of this thing. God is totally, totally in control of this whole thing. The events of our time are significant, for they remind the believer this. And I'm going to close with this, Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So I want to thank you for listening to this podcast today. I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you. If you have any questions, email me. Get a hold of me through Facebook. I hope and pray that you continue to stay tuned for more episodes and more Bible studies. And I hope the Lord blesses you. I hope the Lord speaks to you about what is going on in our world, begins to deal with your heart. We serve a God who will not be trifled with. And so we must understand that. And so may God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Harbinger. And we'll see you back here the next time.